Man, I'm excited to be here. Uh, John Almquist, our lead pastor, is uh, he's out of town, and so I get the privilege to come and chat with us for a little while today. My name is Jonathan Dennis, and uh, I've been part of the Springs for uh, a number of years, and as of last fall, have been blessed with the opportunity to come be on staff uh, full-time. And so I've been, uh, when I say blessed, I can't emphasize that enough. I almost could just skip the sermon and start talking about that, and that would kind of be its own little sermon in itself, because it's, it's been great. Uh, what I do here primarily uh, among real estate contracts and all the other things that come with being a small church that aren't in your job description is uh, connecting and community. And so that'll be from the first time you come visit uh, all the way through membership classes into membership. And then if you're a member, you're going to be part of a community group. And so I help oversee and shepherd those. And uh, that is actually what we're going to talk about today. So before I do that, I got a question. How many of you have ziplined not, hold on, not at T-Bar-M? Because I know it's an, un- whoa, good. So some of you are going to get exactly what I'm talking about on both sides of what I'm going to talk about. So I'm going to start with a little story about zip lining. So uh, I don't know how many years it's been because when you have three kids, it just, I think it's, what I think is funny is my youngest is six years old and I have had three kids for 20 years is what it feels like. I don't know if any of y'all can relate to that. I can't remember when I didn't have three kids. So Several years ago, we are at Natural Bridge Caverns, and they have the caverns, obviously. But at Christmas time, they set up this big deal up above ground. I haven't actually been in the caverns, so can't speak to that. But they set up this Christmas thing, and they've got a lot of activities for kids. We take the kids there. We do a lot of fun stuff. And they've got a zip line that runs just kind of over all the activities from one end to the other of whatever it is when the lights are on. It's a parking lot, I guess, or something. So... I haven't ziplined, so uh, we decided to do that, me and one of the other dads there. I get up there, and it wasn't that scary. I mean, I, I had that this isn't necessary feeling, like if something goes wrong, I mean, it's over pretty much, and my kids are going to watch because they're right there on the ground watching. And, uh, and so it wasn't that scary aside from that feeling, which it's not a bad, as bad as why am I jumping out of an airplane. It's not that bad, but it's similar. So I start going across, and I'm just kind of cruising, and I'm like, oh, look, you can see way over there, you know, because you're up high, and oh, hey, Caroline, there's my kids. And, and I get done, and I get down, I'm like, okay, that was fun, that was pretty cool. Uh, so I've ziplined at that point. So fast forward a few years to a few weeks ago, and my wife, Tracy, turned 40 recently. And I know she could pass for 30, but she turned 40. You're welcome, wherever you are out there. Uh, And so did a bunch of other friends, kind of in the same 12 months or so. And so a group of us said, hey, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go without our 27 kids? And I think literally the seven couples that went, I think we counted that we left 27 young ones behind. And so uh, if you want to sign up for when we turn 50, you're welcome to go uh, do the same thing with us. But we went down there to Costa Rica. And so I'll do a quick plug for Delta Sky Miles and Capital One Venture Cards, because we got to go basically for free. I... When I was a senior in high school, I had a girlfriend at SMU, and I started accumulating Delta Sky Miles in 1992, and uh, it finally paid off when I got to go to Costa Rica. So we go down there, it's an all-inclusive, and some of you are thinking all-inclusive, I can't wait, you know, it's, you sit around the pool, you eat whatever you want, and I'm on board with the eating, that's great, you know, all the food was great, sitting around the pool, not as much, Uh, I like to go do stuff and see things. Well, someone signed us up for an adrenaline tour. And so we're going to do an excursion where we leave the the resort there and we go and do an adrenaline tour. And it had three parts to it. It was, you're going to horseback ride, you're going to raft down a river uh, through some rapids, and then you're going to zip line. And so I'm like, all right, 
River, check. Horse, I've been on a horse, and I have ziplined. I just told you about my zipline story. So we go, and the first thing are the horses. And I think we have a picture, uh, which you can't tell here. I'm like five, eight and a half. I looked like Shaquille O'Neal on these horses. Like, you know how like a chihuahua's a dog, and so is a lab, but they're not really the same? Costa Rica has like a 60% scale U.S. horse. And you can see back here, I had more muscle mass also. This was, there was no adrenaline involved here other than the fear that he might just collapse. And it was more like riding a ride at Six Flags because we just, we ride him, like there's no steering. He just goes and you just go where he goes. And then when you get done, you just kind of get off while he's still moving and he just circles back and no one even leads him back. He just goes back where we started. It's no adrenaline. Uh, next is the river, and there were some rapids, as you can see. <laughs> this is not the Comal, this is, this is actually in Costa Rica. Uh, and we're wearing helmets, because there's a rock. There's a rock over there. There were some rapids, there were some rapids. It was fun, and there were times where I thought I might go over. But still, adrenaline may, I've, I'm seeing, we had a lawyer with us, so I start talking to him about false advertising, what are we gonna do about this? But then we get to the zip lining, and uh, I think we have a picture, now this isn't, the zip lining, but you can see all of a sudden things have changed a little bit. This, I, I gave this picture just to give you a sense of the scale, and you can see the, the rope at the very top there. Like that platform over there, I had just zip lined across to the platform I'm now standing on when I took this picture. And so uh, I get there, and pretty quickly they hook me up, you know, they put all these straps, there's redundancy everywhere, you hope, and a guy gets me hooked up, and then I stop by another guy who says, Let me check you, and he just like shakes me real quick. I'm like, Well, that wasn't. <laughs> You didn't check anything. Like, all you did was shake me. But I get up there, and I'm just going to trust. All right, I've done this. You know, I told you the story before. And I realized pretty quick as I zip line that I realized before at Natural Bridge Caverns, I was like casual lining or something. I was not zipping anywhere. These were two very different things I discovered. And so we go, we go through the first one. The canopy of the jungle is just under us really close. You can't really tell how high you are. And then they... they take you off of that one, put you on the next one, and shoot you across. And then I realized, like, I look down, and it's, I don't know, 50, 100 feet. That's not that high. But where I was the first time, I realized, man, now this is serious. And the adrenaline part came. And I realized real quick that what I thought I had done ziplining before and what I now understood ziplining could be were just two totally different things. Like, when I did the first one, I didn't even tell anybody I'd done it. I was, I was like, okay, sure, I've ziplined, whatever. This, when people were like, how is Costa Rica? I'm like, we went on the side of a volcano and I ziplined through the jungle and there were monkeys in the tree. Like I'm telling them all this stuff and it's just a totally different experience. And uh, I share that story today because I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna talk about community today. And this mirrors very much my personal experience with community. And so uh, I'll give you the community version now of the zipline idea. Uh, I grew up in a uh, Christian home in Atlanta and my church experience was very much, my parents were great. Uh, they talked to me about God, I think, in a healthy way throughout my whole growing up. But my church experience was very much like Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, and then you throw youth group in there, it's Sunday to Wednesday to Sunday to Wednesday. But it wasn't a consistent thing. My church experience was boop, 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 you know, through the week, and then I'd live my life the rest of the time. Uh, and I realized uh, not until I moved to San Antonio, so I married an Aggie, so whoop and, snull and whatever howdy weird things you'll say. Uh, just kidding, I actually love Aggies. Every time they're not competing with Auburn, I'm an, I'm an Aggie fan. So love them, love that, that, that marrying one brought me to Texas. 
And uh, when we got here, we joined a church down in the north side of San Antonio, and that was my first experience with community groups. That was my first time that church was a, a little bit more than just Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday. Uh, they called them life groups, and the idea was great. The idea was, hey, let's get out of rows, and let's get in circles, and let's do life together. And so I began to experience that there, and I began to see, like, man, there's church my whole life was just this event that I went to, and I'm starting to see, wow, oh, there's, there's more to it than that. Uh, so we do that for a few years, and then we move here to New Braunfels. And New Braunfels, we get here, and uh, we get, I would say, plugged into a church, but really we just kind of went back to the Sunday thing. Started going to church on Sunday again. Uh, they didn't really, they had Sunday school at this church, but they didn't really promote much outside of, you know, just come on Sunday morning. Uh, so we did that, but we did know something was missing, because we missed what we had had at the other place. So we start gathering in our house, and we're watching Louis Giglio videos, and we're watching Francis Chan and whatever, and we're opening the word, and we're sharing with each other what we're struggling with uh, as life's moving on, and we start to get a little taste of it again. Um, but I think God, God was in the middle of moving me towards the idea of like, yes, there is something different, but I, I'm, I'm going to keep revealing and showing you what that looks like. So we went to, as a group of leaders here at the church, we went to the first CLC conference, this church leadership conference. And I saw a little bit more there. I saw some, I heard some things about community. I saw some, some things about community that were different. Uh, I did a re-engage study that Cole talked about. Our community group went through that. And I saw some, some great things happen there that I hadn't seen in our regular community group. But I think the, the biggest place where I got clarity was this really unexpected uh, environment where I didn't expect to see this. And it was in a job interview. And so the job interview wasn't for me. I was on the interviewing, sort of interviewing side, and it was for the lead pastor at the Springs. So we had four trustees, and we grabbed five members of the church, a few, few ladies, few men, and we had nine folks, and we were going to be a uh, pastor search team. It wasn't a committee. We reminded ourselves of that routinely. We're not a committee. We're a team. And it was a team. It was great. It was a great, great time, great process. So we're all gathered. We've got someone helping us walk through this, and we've got resumes. And, you know, we're looking at resumes, and I'm like, all right, this guy was associate pastor at this place, 10 years in Colorado. And then, oh, look at his family. There's a, everybody puts a picture on there now. There's a picture of him and his kids, and it's great. And so next, you know, you look at the next one. Oh, that's great. And then I got to one where I was like, who's the teenager? And, <laughs> and see, there's people laughing because they know John Almquist, our pastor, <laughs> When he's 60 and looks 40, he's going to be laughing at all of us who have enjoyed that he looks like a teenager. Uh, but I'm looking at it, I'm like, are we, is it, are we doing a youth intern situation? What's the, did this get put in the wrong thing, you know? And, and I told John I was going to say this, I can't wait till he gets to hear it live. Uh, and so we're looking at it, but then we thought, and you know, we've got Google, so I'm looking, up, I'm looking up on there, okay, Matt Chandler was like 27 when he started, you know, and then John Piper was this old, and man, if you go back like 100 years, there were guys that were like 22 years old leading some of the most influential churches in the world. And so I'm like, okay, God, we're looking for a lead pastor. We're looking for a leader who can shepherd us. We didn't just jump on YouTube and find the most entertaining speaker. We were looking for a particular person. So we thought, okay, God, we're not going to say that it's not this guy, so we're going to go interview him. And so we went and we sat down with John and we split up. So I think there was four of us or five of us interviewing John at this point. And, uh, and this is why I say this was an unexpected place for me to think of community, but that's exactly what happened here. So two things I learned about John pretty quick uh, when I got into this interview. One was that I learned in the first five minutes, I think, three minutes, five minutes, I'll follow this guy anywhere. Like, I'm sold. Like, the first thing he told us was, hey, I don't get this job on paper, like if you, if you look at my resume, you wouldn't hire me. Like you got better, you got, you got resumes that are more qualified. 
the only way I get this job is if God says, hey, this is your guy. He's like, and I totally understand that and believe that. So uh, he started with that, but then he led into uh, his sins. And he's like, hey, here's, man, here's what I struggle with. Here's who I am. Here's where I was. Here's what I've come from. Here's what God saved me from. Here's what I still struggle with. If Satan was going to take me out of ministry, he'd do it this way, this way, and this way. And these three things show up when I'm in this environment, or I'm, I'm worried more about the approval of man than faithfulness to God, or I'm tired, or I'm working too much, or I'm in a fight with my wife. Like, he's just like, boom, 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 boom. And I'm in my head thinking, dude, you're in a job interview. <laughs> for a pastor. <laughs> this isn't, we're not looking for an encyclopedia salesman. Is that a thing anymore? Is anybody under 30 know what I'm talking about? Uh, you're, you're interviewing for a pastor. And, and what I realized after that was that this was a guy that when he read James 5, 16, that said, confess your sins one to another, pray for each other that you might be healed. He believed that. That was normal to him. When he read Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound wisdom. He believed that. That was all normal. I think that if he knew I was thinking, dude, what are you doing? I think he would be looking at me going, what do you mean what am I doing? Why is this weird to you? This should be totally normal. This shouldn't be weird to any of us. You're, you're a believer, right? Like this is all... And I realized leaving there, like I said, I'll follow this guy. And the second thing I left leaving there thinking was, man, that's missing in my community. Like, where do I do that? Where do I do James 5.16? Because it's not here. I don't do it on Sunday morning. When Cole said, hey, greet those around you, did you grab anybody and be like, hey, man, I yelled at my kids last night. I, I was clicking around on the internet. Next thing you know, like, people would be like, whoa, I'm Joe. Nice to meet you. Like, this isn't the place. And they're right. That's not what happens here. You know, we don't do that here. Uh, a lot of great stuff happens here. Don't get me wrong. This isn't a pointless gathering, but that doesn't happen here. And so I left thinking, man, what a, where do I do that? Because I don't do that on Sunday morning. And I started to realize just like my zip lining, I had this like casual understanding of what casual zip lining was and what zip, zip lining through a jungle was, that I realized my community experience was kind of this casual community experience. Like I was doing it. I was gathering. I was meeting, you know, fairly routinely. Uh, fairly routinely, uh, but it was different. I started to understand that, that stuff that I just saw in him in a job interview of all places. I wasn't doing community. I didn't enter John's community group. I just got a glimpse of what should be happening in community. So uh, I started thinking, what, man, what are these differences between casual and a committed biblical version of community? And I'm not going to go over a whole bunch of details of, of that specifically. I just, a few things came to mind for it. The casual version kind of like gathers when it's convenient. And the biblical version is more like Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort or encourage one another daily as long as today is called today so that you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's like this, this, this ongoing daily thing. Uh, study in the Bible. You know, we can, we can make community about Bible study, and that's great. That is part of it. You can open up the Word and you can look at it. But, man, do we, do we then apply it? Do we hold each other accountable to it? Do we look at Galatians 6? One and two that says, if anyone's sinning, you who are spiritual should help restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. And then this part, bear one another's burdens that the law of Christ may be fulfilled. Like, do we bear each other's burdens after we go through Bible study and see how it impacts us and how it changes our life? And then when we counsel each other, uh, I know my, my initial version of community was always just my opinion, that's what I counseled from. Like, she said, what to you? Are you crazy? Tell her, you know, my, I had a boss like that in 98. And you know what I told him? Like, I don't mean to diminish like our, our opinions and our advice because we, I'm sure people, I know I had 
well-meaning when I gave a lot of opinions, but I realize also Jeremiah 17, 9 says that, man, the heart is deceitful above all else. Proverbs 3, 7 says, don't be wise in your own eyes, but instead fear the Lord. So I'm thinking, whoa, I'm just, my heart's deceitful. I shouldn't be wise in my own eyes. So if I'm going to start helping counsel people, man, I got to grab, I got to grab scripture. It's got to be informed from that. It's got to be my authority. And so in the end, I got to the point, like I said, I realized that there's this casual version of community and there's this totally different committed biblical version. And these were just two different things. And so today we're going to look at a story in Mark 2 uh, and we'll turn there in a few minutes. Uh, We're going to look at a great example of what committed biblical community looks like. But first I just want to say, hey, why does this matter? What's, what's the big deal? Okay, so I get it. You can zip line here, you can zip line there. Why does that matter to me? Um, it matters if, uh, if you're a visitor, I want to just kind of speak to you from the standpoint of like, hey, if church has always just been like what it was for me growing up, Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, I hope coming out of this, you at least leave with this idea of like, huh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really think of it that way. I didn't realize there was this, I didn't realize God had more than just going to church on Sunday morning. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard us say a thousand times, this isn't church. Like, you guys are the church. This is a building we call McKenna. We gather here. Uh, I hope that you kind of get a glimpse of, oh, so when we're not just gathering on Sunday morning, here's what some of the rest of it looks like. And if you are a member here, if you're not just visiting, uh, I don't want to overstate this, but I honestly don't know if I can overstate it. I'm, I'm going to try to sound like I'm not overstating it, but I, I really believe what I'm going to say. I think that the overall health of us as a church body hangs in the balance and hinges with how well we do this. Are we going to casually do this or are we going to be committed to a biblical version of this? Because I think in the end, this is what changes us more than anything. I know people that have sat on Sunday mornings for 40 years and they're just older. They're a little wiser because they're older, uh, but I don't know how much they've changed and grown spiritually. I know that was my case. I've been a believer for 35 years, uh, Yes, 35 years. Uh, November is when I get older. I won't, won't be till then. I won't tell you how old that is. Uh, I know people that have done that, and, and community can actually be the same way. We can be like, well, I'm also doing community. Well, you can go sit in a living room somewhere, just like we can sit here on Sunday and still experience the same kind of thing. God gives us three primary means of grace in this life. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his word. And he gives us his church. And like I said, when I say he gives us his church, he doesn't give us this place. He gives us y'all. He gives us each other. And the crazy thing about how this little triangle works a lot of times is if we leave out that church part and we try to just go just by the Holy Spirit and just by God's word, hey, he's God. He can blow you up in an instant with either of those things and change your life. I'm not going to diminish that. But my experience has come to be that, man, he uses his Holy Spirit and his word through his church. So often, so often he's going to prompt you, the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you with a scripture that you've learned to step into my life when I'm sharing with you. And he's going to, he's going to use you to remind me of truth of his word. And if I keep that part out, man, I just stand to miss so much of it. So I, like I said, I don't want to overstate it, but I, I really believe that that is a huge part of, of the spiritual health of us as a body is going to be how well we do this. Do we casually do this or do we do it fully committed? So let's turn to Mark 2 real quick. We're going to look at a great example of what this looks like in Scripture. And uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Now this story, if we were going through all of Mark and we had just come to this part, we would do uh, through verse 12. So I'm going to give you the ending of how this ends, but we're just going to read these, uh, these verses here. So uh, turn to your iPhone 
or your Bible, whatever you got, where your scripture is, and I think it'll be up here too, and we'll read this real quick. So when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Um, like I said, let me, let me pause before I talk about that section and just go ahead and say, uh, if we were climbing through this story and we're climbing up this hill, the peak of this hill of this story would be the end, uh, which is Jesus forgiving sins, which we see here in verse 5, but he goes on to also heal the man of his uh, paralysis. And in the end, he tells him, get up, carry your bed, and walk out of here. And so the room was full. The room was full of all kinds of people. We don't know exactly a whole lot about the crowd. Uh, we do know that Jesus had been traveling around. He had been healing people. He had been preaching the word already. This is chapter two of Mark, but don't mistake that for like day two of his ministry. There's a reason the room is filled. People have been hearing and seeing about Jesus. But the Pharisees were also there. Now, the Pharisees were just local Jewish leaders of the time. They knew the law inside and out. And so when he said, son, your sins are forgiven, these guys are thinking in their head, whoa, 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 you know, only God can forgive sins. And they knew by the law that this was blasphemy, and they knew by the law that when they see blasphemy, they're going to start looking around for the biggest rocks they can find, and they're going to kill this guy. They're thinking this in their head, though. They haven't said anything yet. And this is where I love that Jesus is Jesus. He says, I know what you're thinking. I know what's in your heart. So Jesus answers them and says, hey, what's harder for me to do? What's easier, to just tell someone their sins are forgiven or to heal them? And then he tells them, hey, so that you'll know that the power of God is in me, that I am him, I'm going to forgive him his sins, and I'm going to heal him. And then he tells him, get up and walk home. And man, the end of the story is people saying, we've never seen anything like this. And so the peak of this story is the healing, forgiving of sins, power that only Jesus has. I don't want us to miss that. But we are looking at the story through the lens of community, so we're going to focus on this section here real quick. I already mentioned the characters of the crowd and kind of who they are, but the other two main characters what I'm going to focus on. The first of the four friends. Okay, these four guys, if you'll notice... It says Jesus saw their faith and said, son, your sins are forgiven. So these guys are there for a purpose. They're there to see Jesus. They're there because they believe he is who he said he was. And their goal here is to take this man that needs healing, and this is what they think, or what they apparently thought, if we can get him closer to Jesus, something's going to happen. We know Jesus can heal. We know he can change. We got to get this guy closer to Jesus. So they get there. The crowd's fill in the room, and at this point, uh, it became inconvenient to get this guy closer to Jesus. You know, they had to become selfless for them, because they were there. It says their faith was seen, so we know they're there also to see Jesus. They could have just done this. They could have said, hey, dude, stay out here on your mat. We're going to go in. We'll hear what Jesus has to say. We'll come back, and we'll tell you about it. But no, they knew, no, we got to get this guy closer to Jesus, because that's where healing's going to happen. So they became selfless. They overlooked inconvenience. Uh, it wasn't going to be easy, and at this point, we realized for these four guys, there was nothing casual was going to happen here. There was nothing, they weren't just going to show up. To get this guy closer to Jesus, they couldn't just show up and casually do something. They were going to have to be committed. They were going to have to go through a lot to get this guy closer. Uh, the paralytic. On one hand, we could say, hey, this guy's just along for the ride, right? He's on his mat. He comes down on his mat. He, at the end, he picks his mat up and leaves, but he's kind of along for the ride. But if we look closer at him, we also see a lot of obstacles he had to overcome. 
All right, at this point, he had to trust these guys, right? I mean, he's, they're, they're up on a roof. They're coming down through a roof. Uh, there's a lot of fear there. It's not comfortable. If something went wrong, this guy, is, he's a paralytic. He's not just going to hold on tighter. He's not going to lower himself on down and land on his feet. He's paralyzed, but he's not dead. So he's, he's got fear going on here. He's going to have to trust these guys. Uh, and I think ultimately what his trust was in, it was less in these guys, and his trust was in, if I get closer to Jesus, I'm going to be healed. And I believe that, and I trust that. So I'm going to trust that if that's the case, and these are the knuckleheads that are going to lower me down through the roof. I'm going to have to trust them. I don't think they said, hey, Bob, you know what would be great? Let's hoist you up on something and lower you down, and that'll be a great time. I don't, he's like, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. But for the sake of getting closer to Jesus, he's like, okay, because I trust that, I'll trust you. And there's a lot of fear, a lot of comfort. It also took humility for him. Uh, and these days when somebody had a disease or they were paralyzed or anything like that, the culture of the day said, what did you do wrong? What did you do to deserve that? Why did God curse you that way? What sin did you have? So this guy had a lot of humility. He had to check pride at the door because if someone came through our roof right now, I'm done talking. You're done listening. We're all just going to stare at what in the world's going on, whoever's coming through the roof. So this guy, being paralyzed, being judged by the culture around him, knew that all eyes were about to be on him. But again, it was worth it because he knew if he got closer to Jesus healing was going to happen. Something was going to change in his life. So you look at all these obstacles, you look at all these reasons that they had uh, to not do this. And it is, man, it's anything but casual. It's anything but just showing up. It is anything but just clicking on the zip line and casually floating across the parking lot. It's going through the jungle. It's going over the dangerous heights. It's everything exhilarating and all of the adrenaline about doing community well. And I'm going to call these guys a community group. I mean, I don't know... I'm not encouraging you to go lower your other members of your group down from high places or anything like that, but these guys were in it for each other. These guys were committed to each other. These guys exemplified what community was about. So in my experience, personally, and I'll share some of that, and also since I've been on staff, uh, I've had the privilege to see uh, healing. I've had the privilege to see change. I've had the privilege to see things that were falling apart, put back together. And there is more than anything else there's one common thing that I've seen associated with it. Now, there's the difference in casual and committed community. I, there's a lot to talk about. I, I was studying for this, and I was thinking, man, I want to call John and just say, dude, just stay where you are for like six weeks because I've got too much to say, too much to talk about. What am I going to pick? What am I going to land on for this? And uh, I landed on the thing that, that I think is maybe the hardest for us to do, the most unnatural And I think it's because it, more than any other one thing, takes down all of these things. Inconvenience, the selflessness, the fear, the discomfort, the the humility that it takes, trusting other folks. There's this one thing, more than anything else, overcomes all those things at one time, and that's confession of sin. Because if you're going to confess sin, if you're going to be authentic, and you're going to let other people in your group see who you are and know who you are, you're going to have to trust them. You're going to have to check pride at the door. You're going to have to let all eyes be on you, be humiliated to some degree, not have to worry about that. You're going to have to overcome fear of what are they going to think. It's going to be uncomfortable. Most of us weren't necessarily discipled in an environment like John was. You remember when I told you John, when he started just spilling all this stuff out, he was like, well, yeah, why wouldn't I do that? It's totally normal. Scripture says this and 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 this about this. Why wouldn't I obey that? Why wouldn't that be normal to me as a believer? Well, if you're like me, and I think a lot of us are, 
I wasn't discipled in that environment. I was discipled in a lot of great ways about following Jesus, but there was nothing, unfortunately, about my life for 35 years from when I was nine to now of knowing Jesus where that was normal to me. Uh, when that becomes normal and that becomes something we are willing to do, we will overcome we will overcome the fear of comfort, the fear of trusting people, all of those things. And what that first step does, taking that step, it knocks those things down to a degree that we can take more steps and another step and another step. So I could have 10 more things over the next six weeks to talk about, but I think if there was going to be one for us to take to put us on that path, it would be this one, that one thing. Uh, I want to share a little bit about what that looked like for me personally and also just some of the ways I've seen that. So recently... Uh, a lot of you know we moved our offices. Uh, we used to be in a 1,300-square-foot space over on Floral Avenue, and we moved all of our stuff over here to the gym, uh, which is about 10 times that size, and the stuff's just kind of all over. And so uh, we were going to do staff prayer last Tuesday, and when we do that, when we do staff prayer and meeting on Tuesdays, we start off using our, our biggest TV, and we put a worship song on there, and we put it uncomfortably, awkwardly loud, so that we kind of feel like we're sort of in wherever we're watching it works sometimes, but uh, we didn't have the remote. And so we're like, oh, where's the remote control? We can't turn this thing on. And John, just because he's John, he's like, everybody in the car, we're going to look for the remote. Maybe it's back at the office. Maybe it's sitting on the windowsill. I kind of pictured it was there at one point, maybe not. So we go back, we get there, empty room, no remote control. It's all echoey. It actually sounds like a gym, even though it's 1,300 square feet. It's kind of weird. But we decide to just hey, let's just sit down here for a minute. Let's talk about this place where we've been for the last year, year and a half. And so we all sit on the floor, lean back on the wall, and John, Garrison, Leslie, some of the first people on staff start reminiscing about stuff. They talk about when the room was empty and they went to Ikea, which used to have to be Round Rock. I don't know how many have punished yourself with that, uh, like I have many, too many times. Uh, but they go up there with a list of, I don't know, 24 things. They're going to buy this little thing and this couch and this thing and a bookcase. And like, we have nowhere to put anything at this point. We've never had an office before. We've never had staff before. They get up there uh, and they learned a lesson, especially going to Round Rock, is that you check inventory before you go. Because they got up there and there's like three of the 24 things. So they're discouraged. They get in line. They go to check out. We don't take your business credit card. So they leave with nothing. So they spend this whole day. There, it's like Garrison's like second day on the job. And he's like, what am I doing? Where did I come? You know, who are these guys? Like, it wasn't that bad. But we did get to laugh about it. We got to laugh about it. And so there's a lot of fun times reminiscing. But there's this one particular room in that building, if you've been in there, and a lot of you have, uh, where a lot of the pastoral care, a lot of conversations happen, a lot of stuff happens in that one room. So we're sitting outside in the larger room. And we all just get to doing this. We're pointing at that room. We're like, man... I also remember that time we were in there with so-and-so, and, and uh, his, his situation at that time was like his family, like they just, they used the word hate, like, man, I hate that guy. I can't, I can't believe this. I can't believe that about it. He's so distant. He's so hung up on this. He's, he's got this problem and that problem. And, and then we, we talk about how sitting in there, we got to also hear him uh, come in there and meet with us and say, I don't want this anymore. What do I do? What's my next most faithful step? And then we remember fast forward weeks through there. He's got a book open, and he's reading through an inventory of, like, every sin he could think of since he was a kid, like, spilling out his whole inventory. And he's like, I don't want any of this anymore. And then we're meeting with him weeks later, and he's like, yeah, this is being restored. This is changing. This is great. And it's still, it still work like it is for everybody. But we're just sitting there, like, borderline tears of remembering, man, look what God did. Look what God did with that. We're talking about marriages we've seen, and there are marriages in there where they don't even want to sit on the same couch you know, to say it was holding on by a string is like, it's like holding on by like a 
spider web or something. I don't know, maybe that's too strong. Spider webs are oddly strong when they're made the right way, but it's, it's, it's almost a goner. You know, there's no... And then fast-forwarding to thinking, man, look at what's changed. Look at the healing that's happened. Look how they're hand-in-hand, hand, still struggling a little bit, but growing and growing together. Look what God's doing in them. And we go through all these stories, and we realize, I realize, sitting there that, uh, man, I've, I've got a little bit of a story like that. Like, I used, to, I used to struggle with this idea that, like, when was the last time I saw God, like, really do something like that in my life personally? When can I say, man, I was here. Wow, now turn around and look back and see where he brought me in a particular area with a particular struggle. And for me, sitting in that room that day, it was with the idea of lust. And when I was 10 years old-ish, uh, I had an older brother, older kids in the neighborhood, and I saw stuff I shouldn't have seen at 10, or ever, for that matter, really, at any age. And that began, for me, a 34-year battle with struggling with lust. And that's led to pornography, that's, less, that's led to uh, all kinds of things that have kept me in this three-decade-long battle, losing battle with that, year after year after year. And sometimes I used to look back and think, well, it's like an off-and-on struggle. Sometimes I'm winning, and sometimes... And I realized, looking back, I wasn't ever winning. I was just lucky sometimes. I was just lucky that the temptation level didn't hit here. Because every time it hit here, I lost the battle. And as long as it stayed down here, I felt like, oh, I'm doing better. I'm doing okay. I can, I can deal with this. I can do this. And... Uh, <laughs> kind of, man, it's kind of sad to think about it. It took three decades to realize that wasn't true. I was losing whenever it wanted to win. Uh, and when that changed, and when all of those stories I'm sharing with us, all of those stories, the life change, the healing, the things, I started to see, man, you know what the common thread was? Almost all of them started with confession. When I confess that to my wife, when I confess that to my community group, when I confess that to the trustees here, because I was in community with them also at the time, I confessed that to John when he got here. When I took that sin and drug it out of darkness and into the light, man, that's where it started to change. Now I still struggle, but you know what I struggle with now? I struggle with now driving down the road in this town and looking at people coming off the river wearing who knows what or not who knows what and just thinking, just look down the road, dude. Just drive. You're going where you're going. Don't, you know, that's where I'm struggling and battling with at that level. Now I know because I lost the battle for 30 years that that could change like that. I could still fall right back to the same thing. But that's why I choose to struggle with it at the, at the purity of eye level. And not when it's like, oh, I'm almost on porn. I'm, I'm still kind of looking at a swim-through thing, but not this. And, and trying to like justify it and live in this, like, this uh, tension. Instead, I'm trying to struggle with it at the core, at the heart of where Jesus says it is. He says it's in my heart. It's in my desire. It's not just in the activity of the worst place it could lead. And so now, my community group knows. I've confessed it to them. So now if I'm struggling with that, I shoot a text. I let them know. I'm struggling with that. Uh, pray for me. Uh, everything about that has changed, and it started with the idea of being willing to confess it. And so today, uh, we leave with a couple things. I want us to leave primarily with uh, that community, uh, it's an easy thing to casually be a part of. It's an easy thing to just show up and do, just like we can just show up here. But there's this other version, this other version of just like ziplining. When I thought I had ziplined, and it turns out I hadn't ziplined, community can be the same way can be absolutely the same way. And the second thing is I just want us to leave with uh, the idea that those stories of healing and those stories of change and that story that I experienced, God doesn't want that to be for the people when, when we're sitting over there in the old office and pointing to the room and saying, remember this guy and remember that lady and remember this couple? He doesn't want that for just those people. 
Man, God wants that for everybody. He wants that for if you don't know him at all, that's ultimately what he wants. He wants you to be changed. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to understand that there's abundant life that he wants for you. If you are a believer and you've been following him, he wants you to not stay in a casual version of that. He wants that to be your story too. He wants you to be able to look back and say, man, I remember when I used to struggle. And you know what's crazy about confessing sin? I learned this too is that you start to figure out more sins you didn't realize were there. You start to realize, huh, I do that not just because my kids made me angry. I got angry because I've got an issue with control. I got an issue with, I'm not patient. I don't love these kids, self, uh, I don't love these kids unconditionally the way God loves me. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's this other sin, great. Like it just doesn't stop, ever. And there's a reason God says he began a good work in you and he'll perfect it to all the way to the end because all the way to the end, as long as you start willing to be looking for and confessing sin and letting him change this, letting him change that, letting him change this, his desire is nothing more to make you as much like Jesus as he can get you to before the end. So I just want to encourage us all today. uh, Man, let's not settle for casualness of anything. Let's let God do what he's dying and wanting and willing and only he can do, and that's heal all of us. So let me pray for us real quick, and we will, uh, we will get out of here. God, uh, man, we, uh, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, and I thank you for the way you use those two things so effectively whenever and however you want, and also so often through your church and through those that you've put around us, those that you've asked us and told us and commanded us to be in community with. God, your, your word gives us 59, 60, 61 forms of one another's, of, of admonishing one another, of caring for one another, of bearing one another's burdens. And God, uh, man, you've given us each other to do that. And we just thank you for that provision. We thank you that you love us that much. God, I pray right now for everybody in this room as we will be tempted, God, me included, absolutely me included, I experience it every day, that I'll be tempted to let comfort I'll be tempted to let fear, I'll be tempted to let all these things be a roadblock and an obstacle to confessing the, uh, our sins to you for forgiveness and to confessing, confessing our sins to those around us for the sake of healing and praying for each other. God, I'm going to want to not do that. Folks in this room maybe even nodding along thinking, oh, this, that sounds good. Yeah, that's what scripture says. And then God, when the moment comes, temptation to skip over and avoid it is very strong. So, Father, right now we do ask for each other to be able to be willing to step in. We ask for your Holy Spirit to not let us uh, just bl- uh, glaze past things like that, but, God, that you would be a voice in our, in our ear, that you would speak through our conscience, that your word would be alive and speak to us and encourage us to trust you above all else, that getting closer to you, getting closer and taking those around us closer to you is worth it. God, I pray that for more than anything in the world right now, that we would, we would believe that, we would trust that, and we would ga- engage in doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.